So, what's happening out there? What's new? What's up? Those are greetings that have been around for a long time, and how we respond to them really has a little bit to do with our personality and quite a bit to do with what's going on in our life. Sometimes it's excitement. For example, you ask a young couple who's getting ready to have their first baby, hey man, what's new? What's up? And you're going to get a hug. You ask a couple who's having their second baby, hey man, what's new? What's up? And you're liable to get a smile or maybe even a tear. I don't know. But if you ask a couple who's getting ready to have their third baby, you know, that, which means they're going to go from man to man to zone defense. Hey, man, what's up? You're going to get slugged. You know what I mean? But each one of those cases is going to be excitement because there's a baby involved. On the other hand, you ask somebody who's just bored with life, and cynical. Hey, man, what's up? What's new? Same old, same old. It's another day in paradise. Living a dream. You know, all those things. Those, that's actually an ancient worldview that goes all the way back to uh, Ecclesiastes 1.9 where Solomon was talking about what it's like living without God. What has been done will be done before. What, what, what has been will be again. There's nothing new under the sun. Same old, same old. But once upon a time, about 2,000 years ago, 12 ordinary people, I'm talking about fishermen and tax collectors and such, if you bumped into them and say, hey man, what's new, what's up? They'd have probably said, eh, same old, same old, just another day. And then one day they bumped into Jesus, and he said, follow me, like we talked about last week, and they did. And so for the next three, three and a half years, you bumped into those people. Hey, man, what's up? What's new? Are you kidding me? Jesus is new. Jesus, this guy's unbelievable. Jesus said this. Jesus did this. Jesus went here. Jesus went there. He touched a leper one time. He healed a blind guy one time. He prayed with a prostitute. He, he had dinner with tax collectors and sinners. He calmed the storm. He walked on water. He fed 5,000 people. I mean, it's Jesus. He's new. It's wonderful. And that went on for about three years. And then one ugly Friday, nasty Friday, hey, man, what's up? What's new? They killed him. Wait, what? Yeah, Jesus, he's dead. And then Saturday, hey, man, what's up? What's new? For the first time in three years, nothing. Same old, same old. And the next day, Sunday, the big one, the one we're getting ready to celebrate next week, hey, man, what's up? What's new? Are you kidding me? He's risen. That's what's new. The tomb is empty. Satan's been defeated. Everybody's going to live. It's an amazing event. Jesus is alive and well. And then here's the thing. It's not just Jesus that got this resurrection power in him. It was all of his followers. And it wasn't just Jesus that got this new hope in him. It was all of his followers. It's a new day. And then just a couple of weeks later, actually about seven weeks later, was the day of Pentecost. And this is what we're reading. Acts chapter 2, verse 7. There were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every Every nation under heaven. And, and I started with this verse this morning because I want to remind you this was a big day, the day of Pentecost. Big day, big holiday. Nobody got any work done. It was kind of like it's kind of like what it looks like in the office during spring break at South Union. Not much going on, you know what I mean? It was just a great big day. And verse 14 it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, here's those twelve again, and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. And again, this is an amazing deal. Because it was just during his arrest where these guys scattered like cockroaches with the lights turned on. And here we are just several weeks later. And Peter, the one speaking, he ran when they ran. But he not only ran, he denied he even knew Jesus. And he didn't just do that once. He did it three times. And the third time, he pulled a bobby knight on him. He threw a chair and cussed him out. 
Well, I don't know about throwing the chair, but he did cuss them out. Mark 14, 71, he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Peter did that. And now here he is, just a few weeks later, standing up in front of the same mob, the same crowd, risking his life. So what's new, man? What's happening? What's going on? What's changed? Well, Peter tells him, verse 22, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. And they're thinking, yeah, he did. I mean, I, was, I saw, I was there when he healed that blind guy. I remember how he led. Verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. Again, huge public event. Everybody remembered it. Some of them were even there. And again, I think this takes a lot of courage. Peter's standing in front of the same mob and saying, you all killed it. You, all y'all killed him. And you did it with the help of wicked men, which of course meant the Roman soldiers who were also standing in the crowd. A lot of courage. Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep us hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life and we're all witnesses of the fact. What's new? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's what's new. Now, I love what John Ortberg says about this. He says uh, one of the aspects, the unique aspects of Christianity is that you can know exactly what day it started. He said it's, it's a definite starting point. This is not true for Judaism, Buddhism, Islam, or any other religion or philosophy as far as I know. He says Christianity started in one place on one day at one moment with one man. On Saturday it didn't exist. On Sunday it did exist. I like that. What's new? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is what's new. And it wasn't born from wishful thinking. And it didn't develop over the years by some kind of philosophy. And it didn't come out of a bad autopsy report. They're going to explain exactly how this all happened. They're very clear on it. Warren Wiersbe, uh, it's a commentary that I've been reading since I've been in the ministry. In fact, I probably stole more from him than I have John Ortberg, if that's possible. And several years ago, he was doing a column in Christianity Today, and one of the readers sent him this note. It said, Dear Warren, my preacher says that Jesus didn't really die at Easter. He just kind of swooned away. That's one of the most popular theories to explain what happened. Medical science wasn't really good back then, and so they thought he was dead, but he really wasn't dead. And the disciples somehow got his body out and nurtured him back to life. What do you think about that? Signed, bewildered. He wrote back, Dear Bewildered, whip your preacher with cat and nine tail 39 times, nail him to a cross, hang him in the sun for three hours, run a spear through his side, embalm him, and put him in an airless tomb for 36 hours and see how he feels. <laughs> I really like that. But that swoon theory is one of the best we have to explain away. I've also heard the theory where this is pre-scientific. We didn't have Google yet, so we weren't near as smart as we are today. And so when Jesus died, these guys were just so upset by that that they, they just started this movement where they just missed him so much in their hearts that they just were going to keep him alive in their minds. And, and then over the years, we developed this theory about the empty tomb, and it turned into a myth and a legend, and it's given us all today this hope and such. Well, the problem I've always had with that theory is nobody, nobody would have signed up for the persecution and the suffering and some of the nasty death those Christians went through in the early years if they knew it was a lie. This is not a metaphor. This is absolute 
recorded history of what happened with Jesus, and they're making this very clear. Now, there's dozens of examples of this in the Bible, too. I'll give you one. Mark tells us in gospel, his gospel, chapter 15, verse 21, he said, a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. Remember that story? My question is, why in the world would he take time out? He's telling us the gospel, and Mark says the smallest book, so he's very concise. Why would he take time out in the 15th chapter of his book to mention three names, Simon, Alexander, and Rufus? Because that's what they did back then. This really happened. And if you want to know, you can go ask Alexander, Rufus, or Simon, because they were there. We do the same thing today. Peter said, we're not telling you some myth. We're, we're not telling you about some wishful thinking or some ancient legend. We were eyewitnesses to the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And again, he's boldly proclaiming this to these people who will eventually arrest him and put him to death. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said, what, what must we do? What do we do now? By the way, being cut to the heart happens to you when you have a huge opportunity, maybe the opportunity of a lifetime, and you miss it. Several years ago, I just was learning how to golf. It's playing seven Vs. It's not even up there anymore. And it's about 96 degrees. And I was playing with Ronnie, my brother-in-law, and a couple other guys. And we were walking, and we were so thirsty. And it was Wonder Bread Day. And there was 55-gallon drums at every hole with ice and beer. And I just can't stand beer, and neither can Ronnie. And so these guys we're playing with would pop the top on one of those things about every other hole. It'd spit out like an orange being peeled. And we're just dying of thirst. So we finally made the turn. And I went inside and said, give me a Coke, man. I'm dying of thirst. So, honey, why didn't you get something to drink? And I said, oh, I don't drink beer. Well, there was Pepsi and orange and root beer right underneath there. I mean, that's a missed opportunity that you never forget, obviously, because that's 40 years ago. This was the opportunity of a lifetime to link up with Jesus Christ. And these people were too busy chasing money, success, and reputation, and health, and security, and comfort. All the things we chase around. And they missed it. And then in this moment of spiritual clarity, moral sanity, it finally clicked with them that this Easter thing is all real. And they said, what do we do? What must we do to be saved? And Peter told them straight up, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your family and all who will come to God. I, I tell you, this is one of the places in the Bible I think is the clearest. We have a very clear question and a very clear answer, and he gave both. Repent. That means you turn your life around. You made a mess. Of, anybody in here ever made a mess of their life? You know what I mean? You repent. You change that. I read last week about this uh, couple that took their mother-in-law, and they went on safari in Africa, and they stepped out of the, you know, the bus thing that's trying to stretch their legs for a minute. I'll stand still, or maybe that will stop. Anyway, they stepped out to stretch their legs, and this lion jumped out from behind a bush and trapped the mother-in-law between the bus and them. And the wife said to the husband, do something, do something. He said, that lion got himself into the mess. He can get himself out. <laughs> I'm a mess. I mean, repent means, Lord, I've made a mess of things. I can't fix my own will. I can't fix my own life. I can't forgive my own sin. I, I, I can't stand before a moral God with all this sin in my life. I need Jesus. I, I'm ready to give my life over to him, my eternity to him, my destiny to him. And it's good stuff, man. Paul says anybody that do that, does that becomes a new creature. All the old stuff is gone. Everything becomes new. And you can do that right now, today before we go home.
I don't know if you can do it tomorrow because things are kind of crazy out there in case you didn't know it. But we have today. We have this morning. So you repent and then you're baptized. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality and it's a huge gift from God. I'll talk more about that in just a minute. Peter said to them at the end of the sermon, if you believe this, if you believe the Easter message, I got this challenge for you. Repent and be baptized. And they did it, man. Verse 41 said 3,000 people were added to their number that day. They had 3,000 baptisms that very day. Now, look up here for just a minute in case you haven't been paying attention. I've told you this before. I'm going to tell you again. We are saved by faith, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, period. Your preacher is not going to add baptism to the list of things that you have to do in order to get to heaven when you die for a couple of big reasons. Number one, we've talked about this before too. Jesus never said, I have a list of minimum requirements for you to fulfill in, in, in order to get to heaven when you die. So I'm not going to add that list. And beyond that, there's only one thing on that list. It's Jesus. Jesus alone. Did you hear me, Christian church people? Are you watching? Did you hear me, Restoration Movement people? We are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Repent and turn to God so your sins might be wiped out. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever believes and is baptized will be I mean, we get it, right? You understand why I don't argue baptism, right? It's too beautiful, it's too powerful. It's the same today as it was last uh, 2,000 years ago. No argument needed. They just did it. They just did it. They didn't argue over the merits of whether or not you did it because you had to or whether or not you did it because you needed to or wanted to. They, they didn't say, uh, you know what, the Christian church has been throwing this down my throat for years. Let me take a class. I want to study the, all the theology surrounding the preposition ice in Acts 2.38. They didn't say, let me schedule this later. They just said, I can't wait, man. I can't wait. Let's do it. That's why at South Union Christian Church, we make it uh, clear that you can do this every week. Uh, you can come forward every week, just like at the end of Peter's sermon. You can accept Jesus, be baptized here every week. You say, wait a minute, I can sign up to be baptized today? No, no, no. You can be baptized today. The water's warm. I have towels back there. I have shorts. I have shirts. I have robes. I have a blow dryer. When you're wired, you can blow dry your hair. We can do it today. Some people say to me, well, you know, that sounds really good, but, you know, that's kind of embarrassing to me. You know, I mean, I'd really like to do it, but I'd be so embarrassed to get up in front of everybody and be baptized. I, I guess I kind of understand that. And on the other hand, it's so powerful. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. I, I don't know how it would have went. I got a pretty good idea. If I'd have said to Angie years ago, babe, I love you, and I'm going to commit my life to you. I promise to be faithful. I, I want to marry you, but let's just keep it between us. And I don't want any big ceremony. That would be so embarrassing. I don't want to wear a ring. Then I have to tell everybody I'm married. That's, you know, I, don't, I know how that would have gone. There'd be two less little girls today and five less little grandbabies running around because she wouldn't have put up with that. How do you think Jesus feels when we say to him, you know, I, I love you and I trust you. I want your acceptance. I want your forgiveness. I'm going to follow you right into eternal life. But on the very first thing you told me to do, I don't know. I'm going to have to think about it. I'm going to take a class on it. Man, we've messed this up, folks. We've made a mess. We've made this a denominational argument. We fight with the Methodists whether to sprinkle or whether we immerse. 
We fight whether or not we had to do it before or after. Just do it. Just do it. I can't wait. I'm not going to miss it again, they said. Just putting it off. Now, some people might say to me, well, you know, I'm not sure I want to be baptized at South Union. I'm not sure I want to be a member of your church. We're not really sure we want you to be a member. No, I'm just kidding around. I'm not talking about church membership. I'm putting about putting a stake in the ground and saying, I confess that Jesus is Lord. I'm going to repent and be baptized. It's a beautiful thing. You'll never forget it. Several gifts. We're going to talk to them real quick, and then we're going to come down here to the altar and pray. The first gift we get out of this is a gift of expression. Everybody in here is wired to, to express their emotions, you know. When we're happy, we laugh. When we're sad, we cry. When we're scared, we scream. When we're grateful, we hug each other. We just want to express things. I, I read last week about a guy that's sitting home watching TV, and his wife came up behind him with a rolled-up magazine, whack upside the head. He said, what was that for? She said, that's because I found this piece of paper in your pocket that says Mary Lou on it. He said, that's the horse I bet on last week at the track. Oh, honey, I'm sorry. I should have known better. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Two days later, he's watching football. She came up behind him with a skillet. Whack! Cold cocktail. He woke up, he said, what was that for? She said, your horse called last night. Look, I mean, sometimes we just have to express it. You know what I mean? We got to get it out. William James says, an impression without an expression leads to depression. And he's right. We're full of stuff we got to get out. Some of you in here, most of you in here are old enough to remember when the towers came down. Man, we were shocked, and then we were mad, and then we wanted to do something. So people came back to church. You couldn't find a place to sit in there for a couple of months. And, and then we prayed, and then we gave money, and we sang God Bless America, and we bought bumper stickers and flags, and we had to get it out. We had to express it. I think that's one of the reasons why uh, Jesus, when he healed people, he gave them something to do. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Stretch out your hand. Now, go show yourself to the priests. He didn't need to do that. He was giving them the benefit of expressing their emotion. And when you and I finally come to, to the realization, when it finally tracks with us that this Easter message is real and true and Jesus really did die and it's for us and it's forever and we're so full of emotion, what do we do? We're baptized. We get to express it and we get to participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Romans chapter 6 says. It's an amazing thing. Secondly, it meets our need for cleansing from sin. Anybody in here ever sin? You better nod yes or I'm going to preach another sermon on lying. We're full of it. And, and Jesus said, look, it's not what goes into the mouth that makes you unclean. It's not what goes into the body. So eat lasagna if you want to. It's what comes out of your body because that comes out of the heart. Evil desire, sexual immorality, greed, and all that kind of stuff. And you need cleaned up. James says, remove the filth from the world, and even the best of us who live really good lives, you know, once in a while we think, man, I'm dirty in here, I'm sinful, and we get to a place where we can sing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What in the world can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, and when that happens, we're given this opportunity for baptism. This gift from heaven where symbolically we go into the water and we die with Jesus and raised to life and it's brand new and it's wonderful stuff. It's the resurrection of Jesus. First Peter chapter 3, verse 20 says, In the days of Noah, while the ark was still being built, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus. In other words, Peter says it's not the washing and the baptistry. It's the symbolic new life that you have in Jesus Christ. It's a mulligan, a do-over forever. 
Ananias said to Saul, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sin, calling on the name of the Lord. It's powerful baptism. It gives us expression. It gives us a way to cleanse. Real quickly, number three, it's, it's a benchmark that you'll never forget. You know, a benchmark, a significant day in your life. A birthday is a benchmark. All of us in here know that we're, life begins at conception. But when we come out, that's our birthday. It's a benchmark. Or our wedding anniversary. Mine's June 9th. Didn't even have to look that up. I just knew right there. You know what I mean? Now, we didn't fall in love on June 9th. We fell in love on June 7th. <laughs> no, no, we did date three whole months. I could not slow her down. But June 9th was the day, our benchmark, when we made a commitment to serve God for the rest of our lives. We did that. And that was 38 years ago in June. Best day of my life for sure. And I better never forget it. And baptism is our benchmark. It's the day we made it. It's the commitment that we made. I stood up in front of 350 people 55 years ago, confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'll never forget it. And neither will you. It's a wonderful day. I'm not going to fight about that. One last thing. Our need for baptism meets our need to be humble. And I'm telling you, folks, I'm just telling you, I love you all, and I'm talking about me too. Never in the history of me have I seen a people more full of pride than we are right now. Proverbs 16:5 reads, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. We're a proud bunch because we know everything about everybody and everything. And if we don't know, all we have to do is giggle it because, Google it, because we're so, we're so smart, you know what I mean? I, I've said this, I was talking to Byron, and I think I've said it here before, but we have got ourselves right back to the base of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're starting it all over again. The very first sin was Adam and Eve wanting to know enough to make decisions on their own. And we're right back at it. We know so much now, we can decide for ourselves that this lifestyle is okay. Never mind what the Bible says. We can go down this path because the culture says it's okay. Never mind what the Bible says. I want to live like this, so it must be okay. Never mind what the Bible says. We need to constantly remind ourselves that you can't separate the written word from the living word. And we've got to follow the scripture. And one day, you come to a place where you say, I only know one thing for sure. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. It's humbling. And that's what we, one of the benefits we get from coming to the Lord. Uh, most of you know, I've, I've talked about so often my days at Indianapolis, Power and Life, and, uh, Power and Light, and how, you know, I miss the guys. And I still miss the guys. I, I bumped into one uh, last year at Casey's in Martinsville. I hadn't seen him for 21 years. And we hugged and talked like it was yesterday. And I look up every now and then, and one of them will be sitting here in church. One of their kids comes pretty regularly. And so I miss them. And it was a ripe mission field. I, you know, I had several weddings and several baptisms and funerals. Denny Robinson used to say in the beginning, he said, hey, Jimmy Kane's all right, but don't get along with him. Because if you do, you'll start to witness something. By the way, Denny Robinson finally came to the Lord too, which was really sweet. But one day I walked in the control room, it's Mike Odell, somebody remember him, and I said, hey Mike, uh, why don't you come go to church with me this weekend? Well, you're not going to dunk me, Kane. I said, what? He said, you're not dunking me. 
I said, I just want you to come to church. No, you don't want to dunk me. I, I know what you, I'm not Jerry Perry and I'm not Dean Hacker. Those two guys I just baptized pretty recently. He said, you're not going to get me down there at that church and dunk me. I said, that's not what I want to do. It's not quite true, but Wayne Smith said, if you know you're lying and they know you're lying, it's probably okay. So anyway, you know, <laughs> I said, no, I just want you to come to church. So he came to church and fell in love with you people, which, you know, it's pretty easy to do. And you all loved him the way you always do when somebody comes in here. And because of that, in a real little way, real way it's one of the reasons why he, he came to Jesus. And about six months later, he said, hey, Jimmy Kane, I'd like to be baptized. So I dunked him. <laughs> that would have never happened if I had a argued baptism with him in a control room. See, he grew up in a Baptist church. He wasn't a Christian, but he grew up in a Baptist church. And the first thing he wanted to talk to me about the Duncan thing is whether he had to or didn't have to. And I didn't even go in that direction. We just talked about Jesus. Such a powerful, wonderful thing to watch somebody at the age of 35 give his life to Jesus Christ. I'd kind of like to watch that again this morning. If there's anybody in here who has not given their life to Jesus Christ, it's today. Today's the day of salvation, the Bible says. Come and join us today. This Easter resurrection, Jesus Christ is waiting for you. We're going to, the rest of us are going to take, um, take time to remember his broken body and shed blood and everything that went on 2,000 years ago and thank him for this. This is your time to spend with him. Come and talk to me if you'd like to accept him.